Welcome to the Leadership Hour. This is Steve Adubato with my colleague, Mary Gamba, where we talk about every conceivable issue, topic, subject involving leadership and communication and management as well. Mary, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Steve. How are you? Good. We're going to be talking to our great friend, Frank Longobardi, who is the Chief Executive Officer at Cohn Resnick, one of the largest and most successful accounting firms in the nation. Mary, tell folks where they can find us. Yeah, absolutely. Steve Adubato's Leadership Hour. You can follow us on Facebook, Steve Adubato, PhD. That's A-D-U-B-A-T-O, as well as on Twitter, Steve Adubato. You could also subscribe to the podcast on Apple iTunes and Google Play. And always, you can check us out on our website, stand-deliver.com, where there's great free resources, there's articles, tips and tools on communication, leadership, everything and anything you'll ever want to know. Great stuff. By the way, before we go any further, I want to make sure we thank one of our most significant sponsors, New Jersey Resources, and our good friend Larry Downs down at New Jersey Resources and those folks and all the other folks who sponsor the Leadership Hour on AM 970 out of New York City. We are now pleased to welcome my longtime friend and colleague, fellow hardcore fan of the New York Yankees, Frank Longobardi, who is partner and chief executive officer of Cone Resnick. Good to talk to you, Frank. Steve, great to be here. Thank you for uh, having me on. You got it. And by the way, Frank is, in fact, in Baltimore. And now, while we tape this program, it'll be aired later. But Frank, as I said, is a real Yankee fan through good times and bad, no matter who they put on the field. Frank is in Baltimore. Frank, tell folks outside your hotel room, as the Yankees are playing the Orioles in the series as we speak right now, they've won the first two games. Frank, tell folks what you're looking at right now outside your hotel room. Pretty ironic. You know, I'm looking right outside my room, and, and what I see is Camden Yards. I see the entire field from the infield on out, so it's kind of like an opening, and I can see uh, all the seats. They're empty right now in the field, and uh, it's pretty special. Last night I uh, actually watched before our meeting got started. I was watching batting practice, and Monday night we were very fortunate, and we had about 250 tickets, and we went to uh, – watched the Monday night game, and I'm happy to say I stayed to the end. It was a great comeback. Good stuff. We're listening to Frank Longobardi. And for those who don't know Cone Resnick, and I need to disclose this, I've been providing uh, leadership and communication coaching at Cone Resnick for a little over a decade. And Frank and I have collaborated on a whole range of things, and I've learned an awful lot about leadership and communication from him. Frank, set up, you're actually at an owner's meeting in Baltimore with all of your partners. What is the goal of that meeting and what the heck does it have to do with leadership? <laughs> That's a great question. We have about 270 uh, owners, partners, and uh, we get away every May for a strategic retreat. We got here Sunday late afternoon and went into meetings all day, uh, Monday, Tuesday, and a half a day today. And the purpose of the meetings is really one, to create dialogue and communication across our owners group so that everybody has input. They can hear more about our strategic direction and some of the things that we're focused on. And, and then we also talk a lot about leadership and what their roles are as owners and partners in the business and what the expectations are of them as we continue forward with our strategic plan. We also had a keynote speaker come in on Tuesday morning, also speaking about really three things that are really important right now, and that's talent, how to attract talent, how to maintain, retain talent, technology, which is really big in the profession right now, 
And then third, about the client experience. What are the things that clients want today? And what are some of the things our partners and owners need to do? So you're listening to Frank Langabardi, who is the CEO at Cone Resnick. Frank, you guys, the 10th or the 11th largest accounting firm in the country? Actually, we're number 12, just slightly out of the 11 spot and really slightly out of the 10 spot. It's very bunched up when you go from probably number eight to number 15. It's probably within 5%. Got it. So, Frank, here's one of the things I definitely want to talk to you about because I know the firm so well and because I've worked with so many of your folks. Here's what's fascinating to me, and I want you to weigh in on this. Talent. You mentioned talent that you're talking about, not just retaining, attracting, but also developing talent. You were trained, obviously, as an accountant. You've developed into being a leader. That's not easy for anyone, but for some folks who are really, really good accountants, great on tax, great on audit, they're technically superb, but they face real challenges speaking in public, running meetings, doing performance appraisals, dealing with conflict, developing people, et cetera, the jobs that leaders do. How the heck do you create an environment where those folks who are technically so good gain all these other skills so they can be partners and leaders in the firm? Complicated question, I know. Yeah, but it's a great question. And it's a question that I think people always ask, are leaders born or are they trained what do you to think? become leaders? I would say... 90% of it is training. You know, you're going to get those 10% that are naturally born leaders. They just, you know, from the time they're six years old, right. they're leading their Boy Scout troop or they're leading, you know, their little league team or whatever it may be. But those people are far and few between and pretty much can all probably do anything they want to do. You know, what we try to do is say, listen, you got to bring out the best in your people and know what their strengths are and know what their weaknesses are. And not everybody is going to be the same type of leader. It's not a mold that you can just fit everybody into. I think you really have to work individually with those people, understand what they're really good at and hone that, and then also what they need some help with. And we do a lot of that with classroom training, and you're a big part of that. I mean, you help us with that all the time in coaching our people. We do a lot of emerging leaders programs. So when they're at a younger age, we're trying to teach them what are some of the aspects of leadership. And, you know, a lot of it is really around talent development. How do you develop talent around you? A lot of it's about perpetuating the firm and knowing what the firm does and how to help clients. And then a third piece is around being, you know, what we call the trusted business advisor. And we try to train them to say, listen, you can't, be successful today just providing compliance services, whether that's tax, assurance. You really got to become an advisor. And that means understanding the client. What are the client's objectives? What is the client trying to achieve? How do we help them get there? Introducing them to the right people. Sometimes it's people within our firm. Sometimes it's people outside of our firm. But it's knowing enough about their business and their objectives to get them to the right resources. You're listening to Frank Langobardi, who is the Chief Executive Officer at Cohn Resnick. This is Steve Adubato. It's the Leadership Hour with my colleague, Mary Gamba. I'm going to follow up on this. So, Frank, what I'm curious about is you're talking about the accounting profession, the field changing. So one of the themes that you and your colleagues are talking about in Baltimore on this three-day owner's meeting is change being the only constant. So here's the question. 
What about if someone says, wait a minute, hold on, and this isn't just about accounting, it's about the legal field, the banking field, the healthcare field. I went into accounting, and this is what it took, and Frank, you know I hear this in, in terms of coaching <laughs> at your firm. I got into accounting, and this is the way you become a partner, and I learned those things, and now I'm ready, and you go, hold on, wait a minute. That's what it took to become a partner 20 years ago, 10 years ago, whatever. What it takes to be a successful partner today is different. How do you deal with someone saying, wait a minute, you guys changed the rules on me, you say, Frank? Yeah, that's a really good question. And what we try to do is from the time people start with us is teach them the tools of the trade and, and that it's not enough just to be technically competent. That's almost a given today. You've got to be strong technically, whatever field you're in. But we try to train them to be industry experts so that they understand the industry and we encourage them at some point when they become like a manager to pick a field pick an area of industry that you want to specialize in and become an industry expert so we try to give them that ammunition up front i think the bigger question steve is what happens to the partners owners that have been owners 20 25 30 years and they got in as owners under the old model but the world has changed. But the world has changed. That's the biggest challenge facing the profession today is how to get some of our owners. Not and all some of them are your colleagues, them, Frank. You grew up yeah, with these some folks. Some of my colleagues and friends and you know, trying to get them to change, trying to get them to adapt to new technology, new services, understanding the client better, all those things. And, and that's not always easy. Is that what you see your job being? I mean, I know it's everyone's job. But how do you set that tone? You know, it's not easy because, you know, we have 26 offices, including four internationally. But it's a tone I have to set. And then I have to make sure the people that report to me are also setting that tone when they're in the field. You know, we have regional managing partners. We have office managing partners. Right. We have industry leaders. And we try to set that tone by the entire leadership team and trying to take our partners and providing them the tools they need to be successful. But it's not always easy. I would say it's the biggest challenge facing not only our firm, but every CPA firm. If I talk to CEOs all the way up to the big four and all the way down to smaller firms, it's that not every partner or owner is created equal. You have to try to build to their strength. This is the Leadership Hour with Steve Adubato, and uh, we're listening to Frank Longobardi, who is a partner, but is also the chief executive officer at Cone Resnick. So one of my last questions, Frank, is this. Like any organization, there are fiscal restraints. Times are tough. Correct. I know that you've had to deliver challenging messages around economics. Decisions are made not as if there's all the money in the world, because there isn't. Everything's finite. Resources are finite. Has it been hard for you as, I'm going to say this because we've known each other a long time, Frank, you're a, quote, nice guy, but you also have to deliver hard messages. And sometimes they're around budgets, economics, finances. Is that harder for you because there are some people who don't care because they're just nasty and tough and they don't really care. They don't see it as bad news. I can't imagine that's easy for you. That's a really uh, interesting comment. I would tell you that prior to you know, maybe the last 10 years, I would say I probably had difficulty with that, you know, really? in the sense that, yeah, that it isn't easy always 
having to deliver the bad news, right? Nobody likes to do it. I would tell you over the last 10 years, I've gotten really good at it. How, Frank? Because it's not your, someone says it's not my personality. It's not your personality either. Well, I think today people want transparency and they want honesty. Okay, Those are two real important attributes of a leader, transparency and honesty. And I think just knowing that somebody wants to know from you, if let's say it's my direct report, that they're not doing a good job, you know, and that they're not maybe cut out for the position. And uh, we have to move in a different direction. Now, what you can't do as a leader, and listen, I think everybody's had this situation before. What you can't do as a leader is you can't surprise somebody. That's got to be part of the ongoing counseling and making sure that the person understands there's certain things they have to get better at. And if they don't get better at them, then you owe it to the organization to make a move, to make a change. I can't just think about myself or my friendship with somebody. I really have to be responsible for 2,700 people and 270 partners. I mean, that's really the way I kind of approach it now and understand I've got to make the right decision. So finally, Frank Langabardi, here's the question. The other thing about leadership is, and I know you believe this because I've heard you say it, and more important, you live it every day. That leaders, yes, you have to be concerned about deal with the bottom line every day. But giving back is a big part of leadership. Philanthropy is a big part of leadership. And I'm going to be honored once again. This isn't a plug. It's just a fact. The Cone Resnick annual golf outings coming mm -hmm. up as we tape this program. It may be heard after. But that annual outing, I believe we're in Jersey City, Frank, right at uh, Liberty? Yes. And going to raise a significant amount of money. Frank, tell folks exactly where the proceeds go and one of those organizations you're very much connected to, which is the Joe Torre Safe at Home Foundation, right? Yeah. You know, we've been doing this outing for years. And Cone Resnick, we have our own foundation that the partners fund every year. And we utilize those dollars to help across our offices and many of the uh, local communities. But our golf outing, which we have some great sponsors that have been very supportive of really two organizations, we normally raise about $150,000 and give $75,000 to two organizations, one being the Special Operations Warrior Foundation, which is just an incredible foundation helping our special ops people who either are wounded or killed in action, making sure that we have a promise to them of sending their children to college. And that's really special to meet some of the kids that we've actually sent to college. It's incredible. Yeah, it is. Really, really cool organization. The second one is one much closer to me is Joe Torrey Safe at Home Foundation, which is built around you know domestic violence and Joe's own struggle with domestic violence in his household as he was growing up. And we've got a real passionate board and we're really you know working hard at funding what we call Margaret's Place. And Margaret's Place is named after Joe's mom. She was a victim of domestic violence. She was a victim of domestic violence. And what he does is we provide with Margaret's Place and some of the schools, we provide a safe place for kids to come to that are either troubled by domestic violence in their household or even other issues that are around the world today in terms of discrimination or bullying. And we can help give them a safe place to go. And it's a pretty special program. It sure is, and we're looking forward to a great outing. And, Frank, listen, not only do we wish the Yankees a great rest of the season, we wish the team, the family at Cohen Resnick, and you as the leader of the organization a great 
deal of success in the rest of 2019. And it's an honor to be a small part of a, a big and great organization. Frank, thanks for joining us on the Leadership Hour, my friend. Steve, thanks for having us. Mary, appreciate it. And uh, you guys have a great day and a great Memorial Day weekend, everybody. You got it. That was Frank Longobardi. We're actually taping right before Memorial Day. You'll hear it after. This is the Leadership Hour. I'm Steve Adubato. Mary Gam and I will be back right after this break. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. This edition of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour has been made possible by New Jersey Resources. Welcome back to the Leadership Hour. This is Steve Adubato with my colleague, Mary Gamba. We were just listening to Frank Longobardi over at Cone Resnick as he's watching the Yankees and the Orioles play right now. They're having an important annual meeting at Cone Resnick. Mary, let's pick up on a couple of points that Frank was making. Yeah, absolutely. Frank touched on so many great leadership tips, tools, things that they do at Cone Resnick that are really applicable to anybody, any organization, any size. The most resonating topic for me was him talking about talent development. and develop- Talent development. Translate that. Well, it could be translated in a lot of ways. I see it because we're a smaller organization of about eight or nine people. Our team. Our team. And I see it as building from within. We are always looking to build talent to give our, especially our younger, newer team members, the skill sets that they may need or train them. We do a lot of cross-training on the various roles and responsibilities that we have. So not only can they learn new skills, but then they can move up within the organization. And I think that's a huge part of talent development not only giving the skills that are needed, but also recognizing sometimes things that those team members don't recognize in themselves. So stay on that. So we have a, a smaller organization, but again, there are all kinds of organizations, different sizes. The whole question of talent development, from a leadership point of view, what, what I'm fascinated by is how often, quote unquote, talent development or developing your people is an afterthought. It's, yeah, well... Sometimes we have the money for that thing. Sometimes we don't have the money for doing that thing. And we could take it or leave it as if it's some sort of thing you can leave. Right. And somehow people will develop organically. Doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Doesn't happen. And that's taking a very linear view, a linear approach to talent development. We don't have the money. Sorry. If you don't have the money, then you can find ways to grow the talent within your organization if you are a good leader. You can get creative. You can lead your own mini seminar within. We always call it train the trainers, right? So you could take skills, tools. You could just simply find a book that you read on leadership that you think was tremendously and share valuable. With share with others. You could, you know, it's a small investment. An article. You don't have time yeah. for a book. You come no. online with a really great article. article. Yeah, you and I do that all the time. You'll send a text, hey, I just saw this really great article. We could talk about it on the Leadership Hour. Or it could just be that you and I may have been dealing with an issue with our own team or with one of the people that we coach. And you may find an article that is valuable. And reading, learning, and being a lifelong learner are one of the key tips, tools to being a successful leader, for sure. You know, what's interesting is the economics. Yeah, that's for a formal leadership development program, talent development. Yeah, I, I get that. But one of the things that, that about leadership, or excuse me, talent development that bothers me is that someone will say that I'm coaching, and by the way, let everyone yeah, know absolutely. that because there are a bunch of free articles and ways they can access 
tips and tools without spending any money. Absolutely. So stand-deliver.com is our website. And really in the last 20 years, we've just created a library of free articles and resources with tips, tools. It's broken down. You can go into the search engine if you're looking to lead a meeting, if you're looking to facilitate a panel discussion and you've never done it before. How about doing a performance review of an employee? Performance review of an employee. If you are going on a job interview because you're looking to change jobs or you're interviewing someone to fill a position, tips, tools are there for free. If you're looking to spend a little bit of money, and I think it's good money to spend, you have a great book, Steve, called Lessons in Leadership. With a lot of great, you dive deeper into those topics, and it's a very user-friendly tool. And again, that's all at stand-deliver.com. That was Mary Gamba. This is Steve Adubato. Brian Bordeaux, our producer, jump in anytime you want. But here's the other thing I want to follow up on. Some of the folks that we've coached will say, oh, yeah, because I'll talk to them about who they mentor, who they coach. And they'll say, well, I have four official mentees. I said, what do, you, what do you mean you have four official mentees? And, and the client will often say, I've been assigned four people, Jim, Jane, Mary, and Bob. I go, okay, well, w- what do you mean you mentor them? Well, the company said that I have to mentor those four people. What do you do? I meet with them once or twice a year and check in with them. I have lunch with them, and I find out what they're doing. I said, hold on one second. What do you mean? Well, yeah, that's our official mentoring program. So go back to talent development. I'm arguing that being an official mentor and having an official mentee, if you check off the box and say, that's what I'm doing in terms of talent development, you're not developing anyone. You're just saying you have a program. Mm -hmm. What is real mentoring, real coaching internally? No cost. What does it really look like beyond the articles and things you talked about? Yeah. What does it really look like? Go Mary and then Brian. Yeah, absolutely. In my opinion, what that looks like and through my experience, it's giving someone else on your team, not only your time, sitting down with them. Which is valuable. It's so hard. We all have our to-do list. We all have work that we need to get done. And I'm very guilty of it. I get my computer in the morning and then lunch goes by. Next thing you know, it's five o'clock or after. And and you often tell me, excuse me for interrupting, Mary will tell me, listen, we have to cut this conversation short because I'll be going on about something. And Mary will say- Listen, I have work to do. I have work to do. But I'm sorry. <laughs> Absolutely. So thanks for noticing. And and yes, so oftentimes, though, I'll not take the time that is needed to go downstairs where I have a couple floors of our office and go into the office of one of my colleagues to touch base, to say a simple question. How are you doing? What challenges are you facing today? Is there anything I can help you with? To just even follow up on a project. Sure, you could shoot off an email and just say, hey, give me an update by tomorrow at 5 p.m. setting a specific deadline on something. But true (laughs) coaching mentoring means that FaceTime with that person, it lets them know that you care enough to, and it could be five minutes that you care enough to hear what they have to say. And then if they are experienced a challenge or anything, you can work it through with them, you can guide them. And then most importantly, then follow up a couple days or a week later to see if they've really made progress. So it's about time, in my opinion. It's about building, Brian, is it building it into your leadership DNA? Ooh. Meaning meaning it's not something you do Meaning I got to do that mentoring and coaching thing because Adubato and other people say, you got to coach people. I got to do that thing. I'm arguing if it's not in your DNA and you don't build it into your life, it ain't happening. Well, we went through this door as part of the staff, retention staff growth topic. And my opinion is mentoring is a crucial part of that. And it's about a relationship, too. So as leaders, 
you, you know, the Pied Piper aspect is, well, we're going, we're going down this way, and that relationship can be fostered within mentor relationships of both in leadership chain, both in just the general organization, and it's about support and about growth, as we were talking about in, in uh, other episodes. Um, it's, it's a crucial thing. It's a crucial thing. It really is. Uh, but, you know, as Mary was saying, it's sometimes easier not to. Oh, it's so much easier not to. And, and we often measure ourselves by, quote, how many things we got done that oh, yeah. day on our to-do list. This is fascinating to me. You have one. I have one. Brian has one. So many people listening to us on the Leadership Hour on AM 970 or on our podcast right now. Yeah, I know. We all have our things to check off. But very rarely on that list is touch base with Jane, touch base with Jamal, touch base with someone on your team to spend five or 10 minutes with, why, we don't put it on the list. And I'm arguing, if it's not on the list, you do it as an afterthought, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And and then you will find yourself in a situation where you have staff turnover. You're going to find yourself in a situation where- why? Because people aren't going to feel valued. A paycheck is one thing. You're going to get a lot of people who are just in it for the paycheck and they need it, and that's why they come to work every day. But the majority of professionals, if they're a serious professional, they are looking for a career. They're not looking for a job. They are looking for an organization that they believe in. And in order for them to truly believe in the organization, they need to know that the leader of that organization believes in them and their development. And that five minutes matters that much? It really does. It doesn't take long. And some people, it may take a lot longer. And Frankly, if it takes that much longer, then maybe they're not in the right seat on that bus. And then you have a whole other problem that you're dealing with. Well said, Mary. Brian, jump back in. Yeah, I have, I have a question for you, Steve. Um, for, for leaders listening to this episode, let's say they are engaged and motivated to mentor. What advice would you have for them if mentees are not so motivated and, and that <laughs> Ooh, struggle? That's a good one. So, so I'm curious on that, too. You know, it's funny. Well, Mary, you and I talk about this all the time. We do. So... Here, here's my thing. I, I keep thinking that, A, everyone's got something that they're motivated by, and the leader's job is to figure out what that thing is. And if you can't figure it out, somehow it's a leadership failure. Then I meet some other people who you try this button, that button, this issue, that issue, this approach, that approach, and you don't seem to see the light bulb go on. You don't seem to see the flash of, oh, wow, yeah, I'm all in now. <laughs> and you think, well, maybe it's them. So you're in a relationship when you're breaking up. What do you always say, Mary? It's not you, it's me. Okay, well, you knew where I was going I with know. that. Okay, That's what I'm saying. but sometimes... It is them. Yeah. And the question is, if it's them, that, who are, that other person who's very hard to coach, who's very hard to find the spark, who doesn't respond to the five or ten minutes or two hours, whatever it takes. Mary said, well, maybe they're not the right person to be on the bus. The other question is, what about if they're really good at their job, the parameters of their job? They're not going around. They're not going outside that. We've talked about this before. Does the good leader say, you know what? Not everyone is going to respond to this mentoring, coaching thing. Let that person be the best they can be in that job, and let me just let that go. You know my answer to that, and it is yes, because— We, we don't necessarily agree, but go ahead. I know. We agree to disagree on this one for sure. However, there are certain times that a person will fill a role 
and do his or her job, and it is okay. What do you mean? A peg in a, in a, uh, in a, in a not a A cog peg. in a wheel or whatever those really? are. I am the worst at Cogs those. in a wheel? There is a place, as long as they're doing their job, as long as you feel like the pay is, you know, is it makes sense that it's in balance with what they're doing and they're providing a service. And you and I have agreed to disagree. I think it was probably the first podcast that we realized we didn't see eye to eye that there are people that truly are, will never be a quote unquote leader, that there is a role sometimes for doers. And that is where this person that maybe doesn't want to be coached, but they do a heck of a good job at what they're doing. It's okay to have them if they are filling a need that you have in your organization. Wow. That's my opinion. Wow. You know, I it, I don't know if there's a right or wrong to this because every organization, every leader has to figure out his or her what the organization has to achieve in a competitive marketplace and whether that person is worth what you're paying them. And But I will say this, for a leader, and again, you don't need the title of leader, just be a leader, it is incredibly frustrating to not be able to figure out how to tap into that person's passion, how to figure out what... I don't want to say button to push because they're not a computer. They're not, you know, they're not a robot. But you sit there and go, it's my failure. And and I know you don't see it that way. I don't really need to debate this anymore. But um, then there's a degree of resentment on the part of certain leaders, and I'll put myself in this position, who say, wait a minute. I'm invested. I'm all in. Mary's invested. She's all in. Brian's invested. He's all in. Why is this person in enough not to fire that person but they're never going to be all in. But Mary says they're good enough. And that basically, you're making the they're good enough argument. Yeah. No, I, I think, well, and not that they're good enough, that they're that they're good, that they are good at doing what they're doing, what they were hired to do. And sometimes you do have to realize that sometimes you can't change, not even sometimes, all the time. You can't try to change somebody else. You can only change the way that you think about that person or no. perceive them. No, you can't. Well, you can't change someone? Mary, no, certain you're a walking people, example. Excuse certain me. people. Certain people. You can't change certain. We're talking about those people that are stubborn. They're not going to budge. They think they're as good as they can get. But if they're still performing a service and filling a, a role, I'm okay with that. And so you're saying the really good leader realizes the difference between, and I'm not saying because it's Mary Gamba, mm -hmm. a Mary Gamba who says, and we've talked about this a million times, I'm not a public speaker. I don't get out there in public. <clears throat> and now Mary's co-hosting this radio show and speaks in public all the time. Was open and willing mm -hmm. to change and be uncomfortable and have her neck turn red and get past that. And others, you're saying a really good leader doesn't make everyone, oh, Mary Gamba did it. Why can't you? That's what you're saying. Yes. Yeah, I don't think that I don't think there's a one size fits all approach when it comes to leadership. And there could still be a place for certain people who maybe aren't coachable to that same degree. But th let's make it clear, though, in the few seconds we have left, that person will never truly reach his or her potential. I agree completely. I agree completely. Nor will they continue to move up in the organization the same way that I did or somebody that's just as much of a. But that's OK if they're still filling the need that you have in the organization. But, but but finally, Brian, some of those same people, when they don't get the promotion, when they don't get more money, when they don't advance, they're like, hey, I'm, quote, doing my job. Finally, Brian. Oh, you, you read my mind. What happens when that person who's doing their job, who's the cog in the machine, mm -hmm. comes to the manager's door, the leader's door and mm -hmm. says, hey, I want to raise and, and, and you've already been trying to men mentor them? Oh, mm -hmm. a dilemma. Yeah, yeah uh, Brian stopped because he knows he can read the clock. That's why it's the only reason he stopped. We opened the Pandora's box at the end of the Leadership Hour. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Mary. Um, thank you to Frank Longobardi at Cohn Resnick.
Um, and also, Mary, can we do a quick thank you real quick before we get out of here yeah, absolutely. to all of our uh, Stand and Deliver clients who have been so supportive of what we do and, frankly, help us do what we do on the Leadership Hour. Yeah, we'd love to talk about them. We, uh, Valley Bank, Cone Resnick, Hackensack, Meridian Health. We've got NJ Resources, RWJ, Barnabas Health, Gibbons, NJ Sharing Network, MD Advantage, St. Joseph's Health. The list goes on and on. Uh, the International Union of Operating Eng- Engineers, Local 825. It's just a great group of clients that we have the privilege to get to work with all all the time. It is an honor, and it's always a pleasure to be with Mary and be with Brian. By the way, Brian signed up to produce and make this show possible. He did not sign up to be an on-air personality, That's but true. it just shows his level of flexibility <laughs> as we're talking about, hey, wait a minute, a cog in a wheel. It doesn't work on the leadership. Hour. You're this my is, mentor, Steve. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. This is Steve Adubato. Catch you next time on the Leadership Hour. This is Mary Gamba. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with State of Affairs with Steve Adubato, where we look at the most pressing issues facing the state of New Jersey. This edition of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour has been made possible by New Jersey Resources. This is Tracy Thompson, New Jersey's acting insurance fraud prosecutor. The state of New Jersey is making learning about and reporting insurance fraud easier than ever. At njinsurancefraud.org, you'll find tips on identifying insurance fraud and a simple, confidential form for reporting it. Report it, end it. Hi, I'm Joe Roth. At New Jersey Sharing Network, we're committed to saving and enhancing people's lives through organ and tissue donation and informing people about our life-saving mission. That's why we're proud to support programming produced by the Caucus Educational Corporation and their partners in public television. Funding for this edition of State of Affairs with Steve Adubato has been provided by the Northward Center, Guarini Institute for Government and Leadership at St. Peter's University, New Jersey Sharing Network, dedicated to saving lives through organ and tissue donation. The New Jersey Education Association, New Jersey Resources, the New Jersey Office of the Insurance Fraud Prosecutor, Office of the Attorney General, and by St. Joseph's Health, a passion for healing. It's what's inside us. Promotional support provided by AM970, The Answer, and by NJ Advance Media. Welcome to State of Affairs. I'm Steve Adubato. We're, in fact, coming to you from the Agnes Varis NJTV studio in Newark, New Jersey. It's our honor to introduce for the first time with us uh, Brandon McCoy, president of New Jersey Policy Perspective, which is an organization that does what? We're a think-and-do tank that does a lot of policy analysis, particularly around the budget, but also immigration, health care, and economic security. And we're in Trenton, and we are providing a lot of analysis on those issues every day and then talking with our partners and legislators. And you are, in fact, succeeding <clears throat> an iconic figure. Yeah. Uh, Gordon McGinnis, a former state senator, former head of public television in New Jersey, who was the head of policy perspective. And Gordon's been with us many times. So, Ian, it's interesting. There's so many issues that are going on, so many things going on in Trenton that have national implications. Mm-hmm. Let's go through some of them. Your organization did a 10-year analysis of New Jersey's 2008 School Funding Reform Act. Right? Yeah. We're supposed to move money around, get it where the money needed to go, help urban areas, help uh, communities that have gotten the shaft somehow in state funding. What did you find? 
I think we found that mostly the places where you see more funding for different schools and the places where you see less poverty, you see students doing much better. Uh, it's kind of, you know, really positive to see that New Jersey is keeping its public education system so um, highly funded and invested and that this is a major asset for a state like ours. You know, we only are in second place behind Massachusetts when it comes to public education quality and a lot of people come to New Jersey for that. And so we want to make sure that the state continues to invest resources in this very important aspect. But asset. did you also look at some suburban communities that have been saying historically they're getting the shaft because a disproportionate amount of money is going to communities like Jersey City, an urban area, one of the original Abbott, Abbott districts, districts yeah. if I'm not mistaken, in the Abbott yeah. Court decision going back, back, mm -hmm. back. But here's the thing. Jersey City is not a poor community across the board and has economic development going on all over the place. And so mm -hmm. it's my long-winded question is, did you look at the fact that there's some places like Hoboken and Jersey City doing well, called urban, and some other communities struggling that are suburban, not all that well? Yeah, and I think this is an argument to fully fund the formula. Right? What does it mean to fully fund the formula? So the state, um, under the Abbott decision, set, set across the Abbott state. Supreme Court decision right. that every child will, well, the, the Constitution of 47 said every child will get a thorough and efficient education. Getting right. there is another story. Exactly. And so, yes, yeah, Jersey City is doing much better than it has in past decades, but it's still a tale of two cities. And you see that with a lot of urban areas is where you ha might have a really um, quality school in one part of the city, but then a not so great school in another part of the city. Uh, so this is this report is really talking about that. It's trying to highlight that funding is important. Yeah, well, funding from the important. state. But if respectfully, mm -hmm. if there's more real estate development and more property taxes being paid in that community, and property tax is the primary form of funding public schools, doesn't that mean, ergo, that that community is getting more money into the schools? Once the tax rebates go away. What do you right. mean? So we have a lot, yeah, you have a lot of people moving into Jersey City who are paying more in property taxes, right. but a lot right. of the development right. you're seeing is the result of a lot of tax rebates that are just now starting to come off the rolls. So, you mean deals that were cut to get people their incentives? Yes, absolutely. So we want to make sure that while that's going to come in at some okay. point, you still need to fund the schools in the meantime. Interesting stuff. Uh, millionaire's tax. Mm -hmm. The governor, Governor Murphy has proposed it. Yes. Senate President Sweeney said, no way, not going to happen. By the way, we'll have President Sweeney uh, Jackie, next week, Jackie Heyer, our executive producer, next week, mm -hmm. we'll have the senator in, talk about that. Speaker Coughlin said no way. Mm -hmm. So if the Speaker of the House and the President and the Senator are saying no way with this millionaire's tax, the governor's saying yes, why are you and your organization saying we need it when, in fact, it's not going through the legislature, clearly? So, you know, we've heard lots of things not going through the legislature before in the past, and then sometimes we get down to brass tax and the deal happens. Uh, millionaire's what are the tax is something. Of I mean, the millionaire's tax would provide an extra 450 some odd million dollars in revenue a year. It's very reliable. It's very sustainable. But, you know, millionaire's tax is not just about revenue. Obviously, that's a big, big part of it. That's really important. I mean, additional revenue that wealthier New Jerseyans would pay into right. the state coffers. Right. right. And I'm again, sorry. this is a tax over a million dollars, right? If you make uh, up to a million dollars, you're not paying this extra, this, this uh, reduced, it's over this and increased above. rate, right? Got this it. is over a million dollars per year. Um, this is also about tax fairness. Right now in New Jersey, you have a lot of middle-class families who pay more in state and local taxes uh, total than the richest people in the state. And that's not very, very fair. So we want to have a more progressive tax code. We mm. want to make sure that the richest people who have more ability to pay are paying as much as they can. But, Brandon, what happens if a wealthy New Jerseyan says, you know what, I'm done. Mm -hmm. I'm out of here. Mm -hmm. I'm going to Florida. They don't even have an income tax. I'm going to another state with a lower income tax. Mm -hmm. And then how do is it that we expect that revenue to come in if that person leaves, we no longer get that revenue? 
And we all have heard that anecdotal story, right? And we all have friends and That's right. you know, parents of friends who have said, I'm out of here, I'm done, this is too much. Well, at least I'm out of here in Florida long enough, six <laughs> months and a day, whatever, to not Something pay the taxes that, yeah. here. Go ahead. Florida, North Carolina, the Sun Belt, whatever it may be. Got it. Uh, the data shows that no matter how much we increase taxes on the wealthy, they're not fleeing. In 1994, we had 6,000-some-odd wealthy households, meaning households making over 500,000. Today, we have 65,000. So the only time that the number of wealthy households has mm -hmm. dipped has been during recessions, and that is a very big concern. But what it shows us is that people are here in New Jersey because of assets, because of access, and because they can get um, to a lot of things that are going to help them be successful. Brandon, let me ask you this. You and your colleagues have done a report looking at how many immigrants own businesses in the state. Talk about mm -hmm. that. So our policy analyst, Erica Nava, did a really groundbreaking report looking at the fact that more than you'd expect, um, a lot of businesses on Main Street in New Jersey are owned by immigrants. And this is for a lot of reasons. But Immigrants who are here legally as well as undocumented? Mostly, I mean, legally is what we're looking at. We're looking at people who came here, uh, made a life for themselves, and are contributing to the economy in a significant fashion. Um, a lot of the reason that we found for immigrants uh, owning businesses is not just the fact that you know, they're coming to the country, they're trying to make something of their lives here, but also they face a lot of discrimination in the workplace, mm -hmm. so they felt like they had no choice but to start their own business. Interesting. Last question before I let you go. Uh, we're not here to talk politics, and I actually said to Brandon, our show is, not, is less about politics and more about public policy. But the public policy debate going on in Washington, if you will, mm. with Democrats, some moving very far to the left, the New Green Deal, uh, tax wealthier Americans, et cetera, et cetera, mm -hmm. versus those who are more moderate Democrats. Is that something you're following? Oh, absolutely, because it's changing the way that we talk about these issues. Um, and I think that this is a conversation that's dealing with a lot of the challenges that people face on a daily basis. Um, and it's, it's really highlighting how much poverty there is in this country and trying to highlight policies that are actually mm. going to address them once and for all. Finally, do you do any research on President Trump and his policies as it connects and relates to the people you care about every day? Oh, yeah, we do a lot of research on immigration, as we talked about, also health care. How's he doing? Uh, a lot of the president's policies are very, very harmful and da dangerous and damaging Name for one. the people of New Jersey. Attacking the Affordable Care Act was a problem. The family separation at the border is a significant problem. Salt, the SALT deduction is very harmful for a lot of middle-class families. The limitation, $10,000, that's it, for local yeah. property taxes, state taxes, that's it. Yes. Not no. good, Not in good, your opinion. And it's going to have long-term damage for us. Brandon McCoy, don't let this be the, last be, the, be the last time. I'll get that out there with us on State of Affairs. You're the president of New Jersey Policy Perspective. We wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you very much, Steve. Thank you. Yes. This is State of Affairs. I'm Steve Adubato. We'll be right back after this. To see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD, And follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. Hi, I'm Steve Adubato coming to you from North New Jersey, the North Ward Center. We just finished a panel discussion dealing with autism. And you uh, um, realize as you watch this program, we're talking about a different way of thinking about autism. We're honored to be joined by a member of the state legislature who's been dealing with, talking about, thinking about autism for a long time, Assemblywoman Valerie Veneri. Huddle, who's deputy speaker of the General Assembly, leader in this initiative. Um, biggest takeaway for you from the panel discussion we just had on autism is, was? Great discussion. Um, I think we left out a couple of things that, if I may, just Shoot. talk about. 
we talked about um, research. We talked about support services. But we left out the protection of those kids with autism uh, from abuse and neglect. Um, several bills have been passed and signed into law to In make sure. In the state sure, legislature? Yes, to make sure that the caregivers, don't forget, uh, many caregivers, low wages. We need to uh, raise those wages and have the professional people there that are trained properly in autism or with students or children or post-21 adults with autism. Mm. Um, we need to make sure that uh, the parents know what's going on if they're in the group homes, if they're in centers, if they're in day programs. So I think um, it was a great discussion. We had great advocates, but we need to talk about a few of the bad actors as well. And what do you we need mean to by protect that? them. A few of the bad actors. Um, many times, and what I've heard, um, children have come home with bruises and um, there's physical abuse. By the way, I want to make yeah. it clear, if, if you don't know this about the Assemblywoman when it comes to the issue of bullying, a leader That's in the legislature true. on this well, issue as well. Is it connected? It, it certainly is. How so? Uh, especially when you have um, the high spectrum or the high... I hate to use the word functioning, there should be a better word, but when you have people with abilities that are able to be included in the community, um, there's certainly, as we talked about a little bit about a stigma, and uh, those kids tend to be bullied, obviously. And so I think we need to remove the stigma. I think education needs to not only go to the parents and the, ch and the immediate people mm. that are, are involved, but the entire community. And that also, teacher training, counselor training, um, you know, I hate to say it takes a village, but it really mm. does. And I think everyone needs to understand and be aware that people with autism, whether they are low functioning, high functioning, independent, dependent, they all have a special asset is what we actually heard in this discussion. You know, the other thing you said, Assemblywoman, that I would like you to expand upon is that there's no D, no Democrat, no R, no Republican label connected to those who seem to care deeply about those dealing with autism, not just someone diagnosed, but his or her family member. Is that true? You, is I, it bipartisan? I believe it has to be. I believe that there should not be politics when it comes to people with special needs that need support services. The only challenge is, obviously, is the funding. You know, we have to prioritize that. And I think that whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, one in 34 right. people have autism. Every one of us. In the the highest rate of the nation. Highest rate, because we diagnose properly, I, right. I assume, and I hope that uh, we have the The Commissioner research. of Health, uh, Eleanor Hall, Dr. Eleanor Hall, talked right. about that as well. Right. We diagnose better than most. I, uh, at a higher rate, let's just say and that. And I believe that's why the incident here is higher. We, we have one in 34, uh, mm. which, is just, which is... What about public that, attitudes, though? I think we are getting better. And that's why I think when you have people that just, where, where was that person became the uh, first attorney, right? Yeah, we're talking autism. about this, uh, when you check out the uh, two half hours. What was her there's name? There's a young woman, Hallie Moss, Florida. Oh, I think she's only 20, mid-20s. First lawyer, openly, if you will, you know, that's person a person with autism. That's a role model. And that's also a symbol of erasing the stigma that, you know what, you can, you can achieve things in your own time, in your own time frame, and on your own level. You know, um, for example, there are supermarkets. When I go to my supermarket, the grocery baggers, there are people from the ARC program, from the day program, and right. they're out bagging my groceries. It gives them a sense of pride, a sense of accomplishment, 
And they're important as they're important people in the community. Absolutely. You go to restaurants. You ever see sometimes? I, I know one restaurant I go to. They have some of these students uh, from the day programs just folding napkins. So you know whether it's a small task, whether it's going to law school. One size, as we mentioned, doesn't fit all, and, and that's, everyone that's has a, their own special abilities. Sorry for interrupting. Someone. That's, that yeah. is, in fact, a different way of thinking. That was what struck, yes. one of the things that struck me in our panel discussion was that thinking, quote unquote, one size fits all when it comes to dealing with autism doesn't work. No. I had, and I think we mentioned this before, I had a, um, a person that was born with infantile autism. The mother thought that he would never be able to even go through school. He went through public schools, and I think he's, he's probably 30 now, and he worked in my office as an intern, as a special coordinator. Uh, to and your legislative staff? To out, yes, outreach, um, an outreach coordinator to the, to the community with special needs. He's brilliant. Mm. He's brilliant. He's smarter than many of us. And just to give him the opportunity to give him uh, you know, a, a task to do, whether it's climate change, the, the information that he came back with was amazing. The research. It's just giving people an opportunity to, what, to give them that sense that they, are, they can accomplish anything that they, they think they can. They, we have to give them that opportunity. Let me ask you this before I let you go. Um, how many of your colleagues do you think you know in the Senate and, and or the General Assembly know that you had someone on your staff who had um, who's dealing with certain challenges, but has certain clearly very special skills. I think most of them knew because he had his own business card and he would go downtown and, and stand, <laughs> you know, go to Starbucks and pass out the business card. I um, got a lot of calls. But um, no, I think most people knew. And actually somebody just called me and said, you know, can you use this intern? Uh, I mean, can you, can you use this young person who has a disability? Right. He's, on the, he's on the spectrum. Can you use you him in your office once a week? Of course I could. We'll find, something, we'll find something to do for I, I said I would let you go, but I want to press on this. Federal legislation, Senator Robert Menendez, leader in this effort. Talk about it real quick. Yeah, well, his, um, he is uh, proposing legislation to create funding on a federal level that would um, help in the education and awareness aspect of autism. And I think that speaks volumes because he's a champion. He's always been a champion. And um, he's trying to do, or he is doing, uh, the same thing we are doing in New Jersey on a federal level. Mm, are we hoping that the bipartisanship that you uh, refer to in the state house in New Jersey would replicate issue, itself in Washington? Issue, on this issue, <clears throat> I hope it will. And the president, you believe, is just as committed? I would hope that he would be. Um, this is not a partisan yeah, issue. Yeah, I, I, I would hope that he would be on board. Senator thank you, not just for joining us once again well, for this discussion, you. but for always participating in public television uh, conversations about important issues. It's important, issues. It's thank important you, we Lund. get the message out. Thank you very much. Well done. Yeah. To see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Steve PhD. And follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. State of Affairs is uh, pleased to welcome Tom Bergeron, editor, <clears throat> chief content officer, ROINJ. Tom, thanks for joining us. By the way, uh, we have a cross-promotional partnership with your organization, uh, trying to bring eyeballs, if you will, to what we do and what you do. Absolutely. How much of it is about eyeballs? 
<clears throat> eyeballs are as important in the media for what we do. It's the right eyeballs. You know, our concern is people always ask me what we cover. And I always answer it, it's not what we cover, but who we cover for. So we're trying to produce information that is going to be relevant to the movers and shakers and decision makers in the state. And when I say that, it doesn't necessarily mean the governor and the key leaders who, who read us, and, and we appreciate that. It's at all levels. Mm -hmm. uh, CEOs of companies, it can be 3,000 employees, it can be three employees. So it's the people who are making decisions to make the economy run. That's who we're appealing to. By, way, back, by way of background, Tom spent about 20 years in sports broadcasting, move over to business, if you will, journalism, sports journalism, if you will, I'm sorry. Um, and we should do the, we're doing the show after the University of Virginia won the national championship. You graduated from? I did, University of Virginia. Yeah, Rutgers, we're doing great. So, um, <laughs> so this is ROI, by the way. This happens to be written, this story on minimum wage by Anjali uh, Kimlani, who was with us recently on State of Affairs. Check out that segment. She's really good. You have a massive staff, do you not? <laughs> yeah, there's about nine of us, <laughs> tea to green, everything we do, sales, uh, journalists, editors, inside, outside. That's what we do. And you know, the, the publication started a couple of years ago. About 18 months, right. uh, September of, of 2017 was our launch. Before we got on the air, we talked about niche media, niche journalism. We're niche. So, so people say, how many people, what are your ratings? And in public broadcasting, yeah, it matters. But I often tell our people, it's who's watching, 100%. why they watch, and what impact we have. I don't want to say that ours is yours, but is it? To, to some extent, listen, all media, mm -hmm. all content, everything is niche publishing these days because people have so many choices, whether it's TV, radio, online, social, Twitter, all that kind of stuff. So really, you're, you're, you're appealing to a certain niche audience for what you perform. The people who are trying to appeal to everyone are the ones that are falling by the wayside. The ones that have found a niche are the ones that are exceeding uh, far beyond what people think people are exceeding at. How are you doing the economics of this? As far as our paper? Yeah. We're doing pretty well. I mean, we're 18 months out, 19 months out. I'd like to say that we're breaking even, doing a little better. We're rolling. Uh, our numbers in every facet are going up every month as far as readership, as far as advertising, as far as support, as far as branding. So we see us on a steadily mm. climbing plane. We're happy where we are. Let's talk about the business community. A big part of your audience is the business community. The relationship between the business community and Governor Murphy, Murphy's administration, particularly around policies that he is putting forth that impact the business community. Talk about it. Everybody likes the governor personally. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, everyone is happy to talk to him. Everyone is, is pleased to, to see him. His policies from the business community are not necessarily well received. Uh, such as? Well, uh, such as everything he wants to do is going to be another tax. Uh, the business community feels like it's the same old story, that they're creating the jobs, that they're building, they're building the economy, and everything they do is they're constantly getting hit with this regulation, this tax. Uh, the business community laughs. You know, the governor doesn't mind taxing people, but when they lower the SALT deduction in the federal government, then he's upset about it. When they have congestion pricing, you know, you pay a little bit <coughs> more York. to live in... Yeah, so he'll say you pay a little bit more to live in New Jersey, and, and that's, that's his justification for taxes. When New York wants to tax people in New Jersey, whoa, wait a minute, that's a problem. So the business community... Listen, this is no different than any business community in any state and any municipality. They don't want mm -hmm. to be taxed. They feel like they're driving the economy. It's always a give and take between the two sides. You know, Tom, we had a uh, leader of a very progressive uh, think tank. Um, public policy perspective helped me, Jackie, on that. Uh, Brandon McCoy, just on earlier today, we were taping. And I raised the issue of the millionaire's tax. And he said, look, it's a myth. Anecdotally, there are people who leave the state if, in fact, you tax people who are millionaires above every dollar, if you will, 
uh, every dollar above a million dollars, which is what the tax is, not at the beginning. It's everything over a million. He said, but the research, the stats don't back it up. We are not losing wealthier New Jerseyans if, in fact, you're shaking your head if the income tax for millionaires is raised. You say? Lies, damn lies, and statistics. Uh, anyone can quote that. And listen, I don't have the research. I respect what they do. They what do, do you a hear? lot of research. From what we hear on the ground, people want to leave. People want to go. It, when, you, when you get to be uh, older and you've established a business, people are spending more time in Florida. They're spending more time in Pennsylvania. People are moving out. There, there's no doubt about it. Um, this isn't the United Van Line survey. That's a, that's a, a reach of what they're, what they're really applying to. But when we talk to business leaders and we talk to the wealthier people, why would you want to be there? And, and I think the, the best anecdote is why is North Carolina doing so well? Why is Tennessee doing so well? Why is Texas doing so well? Why are companies moving there? Why are people moving there? To pretend like people like taxes is foolish. Okay, so someone says, come on, they have nicer weather, you say? I say people don't want to pay taxes. Okay, but, but we, we want better schools. We want universal pre-K. We want to do what the federal government may not be doing if they do away with the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, and so Governor Murphy wants to protect us there. We want to have the minimum wage. People say they want those things, plus they want more state aid to their school districts, right. but we don't want to increase taxes. Is there a disconnect? Sure. Hey, listen, it's real easy to say we should tax the really rich people because there aren't a lot of really rich people and everybody wants that. But when you, when you understand what's going on in the economy and you see the different sides, the, the, the recent gravel mm -hmm. with the, the EDA and the incentives that they came out, which we've talked about. Um, the Economic Development Authority. Yeah, it's easy to quote that. Do you think they've been helpful to spur investment, particularly in urban communities, Camden, Newark, Jersey City, other places? Have you been to Camden, Newark, Jersey City, other places recently? They're looking better. They're looking unbelievably better. Would anyone have set foot in Camden without the EDA incentives? No way. Would anyone have, would Jersey City have grown up like that way? No way. Do things need to be changed and modified as they go along? Like any policy, absolutely. But to pretend like these things weren't helpful is crazy. They were incredibly helpful. Before I let you out of here, Governor Christie, Governor Murphy, the difference between A, how they deal with the media, B, how they deal with the business community, minute left. <laughs> Loaded question, I know. Uh, Murphy is a lot smoother with the media to some extent. Uh, Christie has been a lot smoother as far as getting things done. Uh, easier to cover one versus another? Same. You love what you do. Love what I do. So, folks, the publication is uh, R-O-I-N-J. By the way, ROI stands for? Return on information. It's not investment. It's not investment. We're giving you the information <laughs> you need to make your business better. And information is? Information is anything about business and politics and government, the decision leaders for companies that will help them make money. That's Tom, I was goal. going for information is power, but that's a nice <laughs> <laughs> Tom Bergeron, who is the editor and chief content officer, ROI-N-J. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thank I'm you. I'm Steve Adubato. This is State of Affairs. We're coming to you from the NJ TV studio in Newark. Let's continue the conversation. Follow me on Twitter at Steve Adubato. I promise you, see you next week. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation, celebrating over 30 years of broadcast excellence. Funding for this edition of State of Affairs with Steve Adubato has been provided by the Northward Center. Guarini Institute for Government and Leadership at St. Peter's University, New Jersey Sharing Network, the New Jersey Education Association, New Jersey Resources, the New Jersey Office of the Insurance Fraud Prosecutor, Office of the Attorney General, and by St. Joseph's Health. Autism is one of the fastest-growing developmental disorders in the U.S., 
Here in New Jersey, one in every 41 children is diagnosed with autism. And when a child is diagnosed with autism, every member of the family is affected. While there currently is no cure for autism, early detection and intervention can offer critical improvements for the child and tremendous benefits for the family. To learn more about autism, contact the Binder Autism Center at St. Joseph's Children's Hospital.